Hey, uh, how many of you would agree with this idea that uh, oftentimes when something really good and really kingdom-centered uh, or kingdom-focused is going to happen, lots of bad, challenging things happen before it? Have you found that to be true? Or, or maybe like when you're going through like really, really challenging, depressing, uh, maybe spiritual warfare is what you finally discern. Um, but at the end, when you go through it, uh, God's got something really good ahead of it. Have you, any of you found that to be true? Yeah. It's, uh, it's just really interesting because like the last couple of weeks, um, my, my sense has been a lot of people have been going through a lot of really challenging things. And at, like on Wednesday, or on, sorry, Friday night, one of the things that it seemed like God kind of stirred in our night of worship was that people have been going through spiritual warfare. And, and every day this past week, I spent time chatting with folks in our church community, and every one of them is going through some really heavy things. And, and it's like, huh, that's interesting. Like, everybody's going through some really challenging, challenging things. And, and I think part of the whole goal as a follower of Jesus is to try to discern what is God doing, where is God at work, and maybe also where is the enemy at work too so we can do the things that we need to do to push back against the enemy. Does that make sense? Yeah. So again, um, I just want to highlight how grateful we are that you're here with us um, to everybody. And if you're here for the first time, like you've heard several times, we really do value you taking the time to be a part of our, of our gathering today. Um, I had this really crazy experience when I was about 25 years old um, that uh, really shaped me uh, quite a bit. Um, I've always, always believed that uh, God is, is at work and that supernatural things can happen um, and that miracles can occur and that God does heal people and that part of the kingdom of God is about, about God freeing people from oppression. I believe that. Um, but I've also been around enough charismatic people to think that there's a lot of weirdos out there, and I'm not so sure about a lot of the things I hear or see, okay? I'm like, eh, was that really God, or maybe not, you know? And so uh, when I was 25, I had kind of, I grew up in church my whole life, um, and the culmination of that for me in my early 20s was that I had a real hard time with church world because there's just so many issues in church world uh, to put it lightly, and I kind of had a bad attitude about a lot of the things of church. Like, I would say regularly, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Anybody ever said that before? Anybody ever felt that way before? Anybody saying that on a regular basis? Yeah? Okay, <laughs> just me? All right. Uh, so anyway, I was going through this, like, this deconstruction season, and and I had I had seen, like, some supernatural things happen, but I also was like, I don't know, maybe they were all kind of crazy, and and so at the time, I was working at a coffee shop slash an art gallery. So I, I ran the art gallery, which is hilarious for everybody to think about. But uh, we had this, <laughs> it is. I took art appreciation as a freshman in college, though, so I basically was a specialist. Just want to put that out there. Uh, anyway, um, I was very good at finger painting. And uh, so anyway, so we were, I was at work, and I was working in the, in the uh, art gallery, and my sister, who was managing this coffee shop, said, hey, I need you to come out here. We, we've got a situation. There's this lady who's super intoxicated, and she's being belligerent, and she won't leave. So I'm like, all right. So I walk out there, and there's this, this lady who is, I mean, the smell of alcohol was like, you could smell it from, you know, I don't know, 30, 40 
feet away and she was kind of like clearly unable she was unstable unable to stand and you know was like not able to communicate like she couldn't you know use, use words and so my my um, sister's like hey i've been trying to get her to leave but she won't um i need to go call the police so can you just make sure she doesn't fall and she's you know she doesn't get hurt i'm like okay um so pause for a minute here in that moment we have to do something it's called discernment okay as a follower of jesus we have to discern a number of things we need to discern like what the heck is going on here uh number two we have to discern well how do we how do we respond and interact with this person right uh are you with me like because again uh, uh you know we don't know all the details but i'm i think it's important as followers of jesus to really lean into that like what is it that god is doing right now where is God at work? How might the enemy be at work? All these are the things that are going on in the back of my head, okay? So my sister's like, all right, I'm going to go make the phone call, and she leaves, okay? And as a parenthetical pause, you, what you have to understand about me is I cannot do scary movies, okay? Like, I can't. I mean, if, like, something scary's on, I'm like, nope, not here today, Satan. I'm out of here, okay? Like, I can't do it. Like, when Dawn and I first got married, she's... She was like eight months pregnant. This is a terrible story about me, by the way. Uh, she's eight months pregnant. She's like, let's watch a scary movie because I like scary movies. I'm like, all right, let's do it. And so we watched The Ring. Some of you know the story. We watched The Ring. I am like traumatized. Like I, at the end of the movie, I was like, she's just evil. There's no point. She's just evil. I can't get up. I stayed in bed, made my eight-month-old uh, pregnant wife walk around, lock all the doors, turn all the lights on because I was sure she was under the, t under the bed. I was like, no, she's there. I know she is. Like, I can't handle scary things, okay? So with that in mind, my sister walks away, and this lady who is, like, totally unable to communicate and is, like, you know, moving around, all of a sudden looks up, and her eyes, like, change, and she looks at me, and she's like, I know who you are. And I'm just like, ah! And I'm like, like no joke. I literally was like, I'm out. And I ran, like, I ran. I, I ran. <laughs> it's not funny. I ran to my sister's office, and I'm like, you got to come back out here. And she's like, what? It's just a lady. I'm like, no, there's something else going on with that lady, okay? I mean, I'm telling you, like, so then she, I'm like, I'm like, just come out there. I can't be alone with this lady. And so I walk out there, and my, my sister looks at me because the lady's back to, like, uh, inebriated lady. And she's just kind of like unable to communicate. And I'm, I look at my sister. I was like, oh, no, there was something else going on here. Like, you got to understand. And uh, but so in this moment, just think about this. There's we're I'm trying to discern. Are you with me? Like, I'm trying to discern what is going on. Is it just alcohol or now I'm like something else is going on, maybe. OK. Um, and so my sister left and like the same thing happened again. And I, again, want to be very clear that I ran as fast as I could out of that situation to go like get somebody around because I did not know what to do in the moment. I did not know what to do in a moment where there was clearly some type of what I would now discern and say there was some demonic oppression there. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but all over the New Testament, what we see is Jesus interacting with people and he would he he heals people, he raises people from the dead. But one of the things that Jesus does over and over again is he frees people and delivers people from demonic oppression. 
It is a significant feature of the ministry of Jesus. So this got me thinking a number of years ago. Like in the, in the New Testament, in the first century, clearly there's a lot of demonic oppression because that's one of the ways that Jesus demonstrates the kingdom. What Jesus does is he preaches and proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand. He preaches really around that subject. But then when he demonstrates that the kingdom is here is by healing people and setting people free from demonic oppression. Are you with me? So then, fast forward 2,000 years, it's like, have you ever stopped to wonder, are there still like some demons around here? Okay, are, do we really believe that? <laughs> yeah, because there are, like I'm increasing, like, I don't know, seems like that's a demon. That's a demon, that's at my house at least, okay? Like, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure, pretty sure there's some spiritual warfare going on right now. But we've been in this sermon series for a while now talking about the Holy Spirit and, and we're calling it Empowered and we're, we're, we're doing this sermon series with a, a, a lot of under, other vineyard churches. There's literally hundreds of vineyard churches all over the U.S. and all over the world who are spending time in this season leaning into a theology of the Spirit. And we've been doing that because we're leading up to Pentecost Sunday, which is next week. And, and we've been thinking about who the Spirit is, His character, and then what does the Spirit do? His activities. And throughout the Bible, there are all these different st stories, though, where, pe where people have these spiritual experiences. And at the end of the day, we have to spend time trying to discern those questions I suggested. Where is God at work? What is God doing? Might this be the work of the enemy? We have to like, those are just a few of the questions, okay? And this morning, I want to read a passage of Scripture uh, from the book of Acts and, and just spend a few minutes before uh, we jump into it and, and thinking about this passage. And this is from Acts chapter 16. And what's happening is, is in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is essentially the story of how the church develops and grows after Jesus has lived his life, died on the cross for our sins, uh, was buried, and then powerfully raised on the third day by the Spirit. And, and Jesus has um, ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit's been poured out on the church in Acts 2, and then the rest of Acts is the story of how the church develops and grows and spreads all over the known Roman Empire. And so in this particular passage, this is on Paul's third, a second journey, his missionary journey, and he's in the city of Philippi. If you've read the New Testament, you'll know the book Philippians is written to that church by Paul, but this is when he first goes there, okay? And this is in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18 says that one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. That's like good, you'd think. And Luke writes, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Man, that's, that's awesome, isn't it? It's awesome. Uh, Father, I just want to right now invite your Holy Spirit to do the same stuff in our lives. And I pray that you'd, you'd help us just for a few minutes here think about what this means to be empowered by your spirit and to live as one who has been absolutely um, transformed entirely by the, by the story of Jesus. 
we've been captured by that. I pray this in your name. Amen. So, you know, um, if ever there was a time, I think, for Paul to discern something in the, in the, in the, in the New Testament, uh, I think it's right here. I mean, this is like a really interesting story to me. I mean, can you imagine how uh, difficult it was given that the girl was seemingly saying things that supported what Paul was there to do, right? Like Paul, we have to understand he's traveling around the Roman Empire to plant churches, right? He's there to tell people about Jesus, to have conversations about Jesus. Um, we know in the story that, that he will actually do miraculous things to demonstrate the power of the kingdom, and he, that, that's what he's about. He's there to represent the Most High God, right? That's what he's there for. And all of a sudden, there's this woman following him around everywhere, and she's like, hey, these men are, are here to represent the Most High God, and they're here to tell us how to be saved. Like, I would think that you'd be like, well, thank you, right? Thank you for that help. We need that. And yet, in the story, that's not what, what Paul does to respond to her. And, and what's interesting is that after days of putting up with this young woman, Paul finally has enough. And in the, NL the NLT translation, which we're, which we're using today, Paul's feelings are described as exasperated. Um, you know, another way to think about that is that Paul was super, super annoyed. The, the Greek word um, doesn't just mean deeply disturbed. It, it actually literally means he was worked over. He was worked up. So this kept happening over and over again all the time, and finally Paul is like so annoyed that he has to deal with it. And this is where we can get into this idea of discernment, I think, for a moment. Paul discerned that this girl, this, this woman, was under the inspiration of evil. Right? She was actually being um, informed and inspired by a, an evil spirit. And so um, his concern in this moment, I think this is important for us to, to think about, his concern in this moment is, is that what she was saying was coming from the influence of an evil spirit, and because of that, it was confusing the audience that Paul was trying to engage with. And I just want to tell you right now, when we talk about discernment, um, one of the primary fruits of the enemy's work, like when we think about what is it that the enemy does, one of the primary things that the enemy does is to work in the areas of confusion and chaos. Like I've seen it all over the world, and I've seen it time and time again in people's lives. When they are, when there's a lot of confusion and a lot of chaos in their life, there's generally some evidence there of the enemy's work. Because we have to understand what Jesus came to do, right? The enemy came to still kill and destroy, and Jesus came to give abundant life. And so, um, you know, when you have feelings of confusion or, or even like when things are, are super, super chaotic, super, super chaotic, we have to do the same thing where we try to discern what is God doing? How is the enemy at work? Like, you know, like what actually is happening here? And I have found more often than not when it comes to chaos and confusion, the right answer is that it's probably Satan. <laughs> Maybe you all remember a church lady? Could be Satan, right? I mean, like... When people describe the stuff that they're going through, we have to discern, like, well, is that really a, a fruit of the Spirit? Is that really a fruit of, of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives? And if it's, if it's sowing confusion and chaos and, and unforgiveness and anger and, and bitterness and all those different things that keep us bagged down, then no, it's not. It's probably a fruit of the enemy's work. 
And, and what I wanted to share today really is about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in relation to discernment, because I'm convinced more than ever we need discernment. You know, there are now organizations and individuals that are intentionally trying to spread misinformation, not just, I'm not talking about just news, I'm talking about spiritual misinformation to followers of Jesus to get us off track. And we need the Holy Spirit's work to understand that those things are actually happening. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he has this really interesting uh, thing that he, that he does as he talks about uh, discernment in the context of, uh, of a spiritual gift. He, he says that um, he gives one person the power to perform miracles. Okay? Some people have spiritual gifts that are miraculous. Others can hear from God and share those words, which we call prophecy. And then he gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. And that's what I'm kind of hinting at for us today is that we need more of the Holy Spirit's leadership in our lives so we can understand and discern truth. And so here's what I want to do really quickly is I want to lean into, into this idea of discernment and provide three questions that I think will be helpful for us when we're trying to discern truth, when we're trying to discern whether or not something is from God or, or not. Um, and I think that these, these questions will help us um, live our lives. And, and let me even say this. Like, we all have a lot of decisions every day, don't we? Like, every single day we have to, we wake up and we got to decide whether we should speak before coffee or after coffee, right? Or, you know, just saying. Or, or we, have to, we have to decide, like, how are we going to engage with other people in specific situations? Like, every one of you in this room is going through challenging things at certain times, right? And we have to really discern the way to engage with people, the way to, to, to talk, the way to, to interact with people. But then I need you also to understand is that there is spiritual warfare going on far more than we realize, and we have to discern the enemy's work so we can appropriately respond to it. And oftentimes we need to respond to that attack with truth. Like, for example, I know many of you feel like God doesn't love you at times, or you feel isolated, or you feel like you feel like you know God is upset at you, or until you've you know crossed some some you know finish line that you've created in your mind that the enemy might have created in your mind, God will never use you in any capacity, way, shape, or form. But those are those are false narratives that are the enemy lying to us. And we have to discern the truth, though. That's what I'm saying is we have to work hard to discern where is God at work. So here's three questions that I think we need to, need to utilize. The first one is like, yeah, I'm a Bible theologian. Sorry, but what does Scripture say? Like, it really does matter. That's how we can discern truth. You know, the way that the church has for 2,000 years, the way that we have tried to, dis to, to discern God's will for our lives both individually and corporately, the way we do that is we primarily start with Scripture. What does Scripture say about that? What does the Bible teach? So can I just tell you right now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not regularly engaged in reading Scripture, you should start reading Scripture. So like people who say things like, I really want to hear God's will. Guess what? You can hear God's will for your life right here. Isn't that amazing? For many, many, many centuries of human history, people couldn't even read and they couldn't even get copies of Scripture. And now, in my office, I've got 432 Bibles, right? And so the question is, do we read them? 
We need to engage Scripture. You know, uh, Paul actually lays this out for us really easily when he talks about the inspiration of Scripture being inspired by God. But he says it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. It's used by God to prepare us so that we can contribute positively to society that we're in. So I'm telling you right now, you need to get into a regular rhythm of reading Scripture. It is how followers of Jesus can discern truth. Scripture is our final authority. I mean, today, we have five people who are signed up to get baptized today. Okay? I mean, yeah, it's okay to clap. Stop. (laughs) But here's the thing. Like, I hope that they didn't just wake up one day, eat a bowl of Cocoa Puffs, and be like, well, yeah, baptism sounds kind of cool. Right? You know, we're like, I'm really hoping that I get accepted by people if I get baptized. Like, that's not why people get baptized. Baptism is a response to God, right? It is, it's not something we do to get saved. It's a way of appealing to God by faith to say that I want to identify my life. My identity is going to connect to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It is a public proclamation of allegiance to Jesus right? It's not, it's not that Caesar is Lord, it's Jesus is Lord, right? And so there's a huge, huge thing happening, but people have to do, discern. They have to discern, is God calling me to be baptized? Well, that's where the pastor Bible theologian God comes in and says, guess what? The Bible actually has some things to say about that, and it'll help us understand whether or not we should be baptized. So the first question to help us discern is, what does Scripture say? The second question is, what is the fruit? And what I mean by this is that we need to understand that, that the kingdom of God inspires people to be filled with the Spirit, right? And then what happens is that as we are controlled by and inspired by and empowered by the Spirit, there's fruit that is exhibited in our lives. And that fruit is something that we can look at a person and say, that person represents the kingdom, and we can see it by the evidence of how they live their life. Right? And this is what Jesus says. I mean, like Jesus uh, 2,000 years ago basically says there's a lot of false prophets and a lot, a lot of false teachers out there in his day. And I'm sure that it's totally different these days, isn't it? Like there's like not a whole lot of false prophets and false teachers trying to deceive people so they can get fat wallets. Does not happen very often. Right? Totally. It's like totally different world. But Jesus actually says this. He says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Then he says this, you can identify them by their fruit. He goes on to say, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit, right? And so he's talking about actions in, in the way that people live their lives, and he's saying that we need to be discerning. And so I think one way that we can be discerning is when we're trying to wrestle through situations or trying to weigh whether or not people are, are, are telling the truth is to first start with Scripture. Secondarily, look at the fruit. I mean, it, should, it doesn't take us very long sometimes to look at the fruit of people and see that everything that those people sow, all the, the seeds that get planted are chaos and confusion or, or gossip and slander. Have you ever noticed that? Like there's some people that it's like, man, I ain't got no time for that because every time I see those people engaging in community, it's like just a lot of nonsense and negativity is around them. And so what we need to say is like, okay, what does the Bible say about that? It says don't do those things. Okay, they're doing them. Number two, what's the fruit? 
I don't know. Seems like everybody around them is always angry and crazy. Okay, we're discerning here. Are, we, are you with me? All right, and the third thing here, the third thing that I, I think we need to really um, take seriously is what do people I trust sense? What do people I trust sense? And, you know, the way that God has designed uh, things is that we are supposed to, and I mean this by the church, the way that he's designed the church is that we are, are not supposed to, our, to live our lives in spiritual isolation. That's not how God designed these things. What God has done is he has, um, he has built a community called the church to be together, to, to offer support, encouragement, and wisdom uh, with other followers of Jesus. And, and I think also this is why spiritual leaders are, are given by God as gifts to our lives. And I don't mean that just me. I mean like people in my life who I look up to as spiritual leaders are a blessing in my life because they're able to help me process and discern things. And I want to do a huge big up to our church community's leaders because I was thinking about um, one of the things that I spend more time doing than anything else is people are like, I mean, just this morning, two people reached out to me, not even from our church, but like, hey, I really want to have a conversation with you. I'm trying to wrestle with some theological things in my life, and I need to process that. So like what I spend a lot of my time doing with people in our church and people outside of our church is processing questions about where is God at work in my life, and I love it. Like when someone says, hey, I'd really like to get tacos, I'm already in. You know I'm already in, right? I'm already in. But then when they say, I want to actually talk about a situation I'm going through, I'm like even double in. Tacos and community sounds great. Okay, but here's what I think is really cool. There's not a single person who serves in leadership in our church that would not be willing to do that with anybody who asked. Like, I know that for a fact. There's nobody who's like, sorry, I'm an introvert. I, will, I don't want to do that. If anything, the introverts are like, oh, that sounds even better. You know, like, I would love to meet one-on-one -on -one with somebody, right? Just don't make me ever go on the stage. Like, that's, that's something that our community is committed to, is wanting to do life together, to discern where is God at work, how can we partner with God, where might the enemy be at work, and how can we push back against the enemy? Hey, random kids coming in. That's awesome. <laughs> is it not true that we would rather have kids running around making noise than being in a church that has no kids? Yeah. That's why every time I see a kid, I was like, I'm just like, and it also reminds me that, that I don't have those around my house anymore, and it's amazing. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, it's so amazing. All right, let's stand up. In a moment here, we're going to um, celebrate these baptisms. But before we do that, uh, I'd love for us just to take a moment and, uh, and I think respond to maybe how the Lord might be speaking to us about discernment and how like, we actually need to be more discerning in our lives. Um, and I also like had this, uh, this, this sense this morning. It was like, okay, baptisms are for me, like this is my favorite Sunday. Easter's cool, Christmas is cool, but baptism Sundays are always like, yeah! Like, I mean, the hip-hop head inside of me wants to, like, I want to throw furniture. Like, I just want to, like, yeah, it's mosh too. I don't know, it sounds cool. Yeah, oh, wait, no, calm down. Anthony's about to go crazy, but... Like, this is amazing because what's happening today, again, it's, it's a, a, a proclamation of allegiance to Jesus. Like, we have to understand that. In, in, in the political climate that we live in, 
there are political parties, all of them, constantly trying to get our full allegiance to sign off on everything that's going on. And what I want you to know right now is the most important thing is our allegiance to Jesus. Okay? Allegiance to Jesus. So Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. And baptism is a public proclamation of that very truth. When we get baptized, we're, we're doing that. Okay? So like, it makes sense to me that this morning it seemed like everything that could go wrong went wrong. I was like, of course the videos that we spent hours working on don't work. Why would they? It's Baptism Sunday, right? Of course our, our sound is going to have some issues for a while. Why? Because it's... This is, we're going to get there, okay? And maybe some of you who are gotten, get, you know, getting baptized today, you woke up and like, coffee wouldn't work. Spouse started talking to you, you know, and you're like, I don't know. Well, of course that makes sense. Why? Because it's, yeah, because this is spiritual warfare, right? And maybe you've been going through some spiritual warfare in your life too. Like, that's what I'm, I'm suggesting is that my discernment, what I sense is that there's a lot of people who have been going through some really challenging, spiritually oppressive spiritual warfare, whatever you want to call it. Is, is, that, is that true for anybody in the room? Okay, a few of you have. So can we pray for one minute and then we're going we're gonna to move into baptism. So if, you, if you're here this morning and you identify with that, I want to pray right now that God would bring freedom from those things. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now for anybody in this room who... who uh, has discerned and has sensed and experienced um, the work of the enemy right now in the name of Jesus, would you break that off? Would you free everybody in this room from those things? And would you, um, Lord, bind those things in the name of Jesus and loose all the fruit and characteristics of the kingdom of God right now? Would you, would you bring freedom Lord, we, we just read in Acts 16 that when, when Paul said, come out, that spirit immediately came out. And so I pray right now in the name of Jesus that any spiritual attacks that have been going on, that you would, you would sustain us and that you would free us. And I pray that you would help everybody in this room to be able to discern where are you at work, what are you doing, and how can we push back against the kingdom of darkness? Lord, for anybody in this room who's not made a decision to follow you, Jesus, to, to say, Jesus, I receive by grace through my faith, I receive the salvation that you have provided by dying on the cross for my sins. If there's people in this room who have not made that decision, I pray right now, Lord, that you would free them to be able to say yes to you, that they would no longer say Caesar is Lord, but they would say Jesus is Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen.